So yes, as uh, Aaron uh, prayed uh, last year, I mean, we've completed a year and on to a new year, as you know, we've been looking at that recently. But uh, last year, I uh, in my sermon series is for the year, I was hoping to really just focus and spend time talking about our relationship with God. Uh, I, I think too often in churches, we can sometimes, I mean, I, I know Christianity is about a relationship with God, but I, I think sometimes in churches we can get focused on the ministry. We can get focused on evangelism. We can get focused on trying to live righteously and, and think that that is the way to find success in the Christian life. We just think that it's about, you know, uh, behavior management. That if I just can change my behavior, then I will live rightly, and then God will be pleased with me. And, and that perspective is, is a flawed perspective. So this last year, I wanted to reiterate and focus on the reality that success as a Christian is all about our relationship with God. And that success happens the moment we bow our knee to Him. That, that, you know, that we are in a relationship with Him at that moment. And that that relationship is a perfect relationship. And that all that we're lacking is enjoyment of that relationship. So this last year, I, I spent some time looking at the reality that life is difficult. Life is filled with suffering and challenge, but we have a relationship with God. We have a God who has suffered like we have. And then I, I, I wanted to reiterate the realities of this relationship. And so we talked this last summer about the fact that because God has created us to be in relationship, He communicates with us. That, that, that's a requirement of relationship. That we can't have a relationship with God unless He's talking to us. And so for the summer week, we, we learned how to listen and, and reiterated that, that important piece of our relationship with God, that He is speaking. He's communicating to us individually. That He has words of comfort, words of challenge, words of encouragement. He has words of instruction for you. And that He speaks to you. Next week, I wanted to focus then in, okay, now what does this Christian life look like? If we're in a relationship with God, what is the everyday experience of Christian Christianity like? What is this thing called sanctification? How do we live that out and what do we do with spiritual disciplines? And so the last portion of the, portion of the year in the fall, we focus in on the realities that we have this perfect relationship with, our, with God already. And that spiritual disciplines and sanctification is not about getting something we don't have. But it's simply about enjoying what we already have. It's our way, the conduit, the pathways through the garden that allow us to enjoy this relationship that we have with God. The reality that we must come to understand and always come back to as a Christian is that the, the successful Christian life is the one who is in relationship with God. It's not about what we do. It's not about attending church every Sunday. It's not about uh, doing ministry. It's not about reaching out to the poor. It's not about evangelism and sharing the gospel and to the farthest, farthest reaches of the world. 
Success in the Christian world is just a relationship with God. Keeping that in mind, I want to switch this year to talk about another important relationship that we all have. And that is the relationship that we have with the church, within the church. That, to, to spend this year now without losing sight of the fact that we are continually focusing on our relationship with God, but recognizing that that focus on relationship with God has a, has a ramification that impacts our relationships within the church. So this year we'll be focusing on the church, how we relate to one another as a church. You know, what is the context of our relationship as a church with one another? Next, I want to also want to look at why we gather. Why do we get together? What is the motivation for our relationship? And then next, I want to look at what we do as a church. You know, what is the purpose of our gathering? What is the purpose of our relationship? These are important pieces of what it means to be a Christian. These are important ramifications that come out of our relationship with God. And so for the next year, we will be focusing all about the church. We'll probably have a few things in between that, but the idea is that the year will be um, focused on developing and understanding the relationship we have with the church. At the beginning of this process of uh, mentioning and, and working into what it means to be a church, I think I want to give you an Ecclesiology 101, just one point that I think is important. Uh, and if you don't know, Ecclesiology is just a fancy word for the study of the church, all right? So it, it's just the idea of, you know, what is, what is the church, you know? And, this, and Ecclesiology is the word that kind of is a short way to say that. And so the, the 101, the Ecclesiology 101 that I, I want to iterate, reiterate this morning or communicate this morning is that the reality that the church is essential. We have a sub-Christian culture that can sometimes, and I've mentioned this many times from the pulpit here, but there, he sometimes looks at the church as just kind of like, you know, a, 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 an optional thing, an optional part of the Christian experience. That, that, you know, that, we, that I can be a Christian and I don't really have to be plugged into a church. That, you know, going, yeah, I, I mean, I should probably go to church on occasional, you know, at least, you know, it's good to go and worship. And maybe I have some friends there that I can hang out with and get to know. But it's really not that important. That I just need to have this relationship with Jesus. And if I have a relationship with Jesus, says all is good. And you might say, well, Sean, you just said that. That success as a Christian is a relationship with Jesus. It is. But the reality of our relationship with Jesus is that the moment we enter that relationship with Jesus, we also enter a relationship with the church. You see, we can't separate the two. Church is an essential aspect of being a Christian. You can't have one without the other. A relationship with God requires an engagement and a relationship in the church. Romans 12, 5 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. 
You see, some people think that, you know, I want Jesus, but the church, you know, the, the church is kind of messed up. I mean, there's people there, there's sinners there, and they do bad things. They, do, they, they, they might hurt me. They might do something mean to me. I don't like the church. I mean, it's even been said, you know, we really love Jesus, but his church, well, we don't know about that. They've been really messing things up, right? And this kind of concept and mindset. But here is the reality. To reject the church is to reject Christ. You cannot have Christ without the church. If you take the imagery of the church being the body of Christ, right? I mean, if we're the body of Christ, then we have Christ and we have the church. You can't separate the body of Christ from Christ. The other reality within this fact that church is essential is that it is, it is in the church where God does his work. And where God brings blessing. So often, we as Christians think, again, if it's just Jesus and me, that all I need is Jesus. That I will get everything I need directly from Jesus. I don't need the church. That is not true. The reality is, is that every blessing that we receive from God comes through his church. This is the way that he has chosen to operate. It's not that God doesn't speak to us and encourage our hearts sometimes and speak directly to us in the quiet of our prayer life. But understand that those words are affirmed. Those words are brought to bear in a greater sense when we are in relationship with the church. The fullest blessing that we can receive from God will always come from being in relationship with his body, with the church. 2 Corinthians 13, or 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see that we receive comfort from God through the church, and then we pass on that comfort from us, from God, from us to them, and it's God. He's God is comforting others through us. He comforts us first through others, and then we take that comfort and we comfort others. This is the way that God operates. He uses people. People are the ones who carry out his blessing. People are the ones who come and care for the lost and the needy, the hungry, the sick. It is the church where we experience and enjoy the full blessings of God. One other point I just want to make within this, uh, this point of the fact that the church is essential is, that, uh, is this idea of the universal church versus the local church. Maybe you've heard of that or maybe you haven't. But again, it's another favorite uh, line of those who say that it's just Jesus and me, that I don't need the church. They will say, well, I'm a part of the universal church. And what that means is that you know, the idea of universal church means that all Christians are part of the church. So whether you live here in Reading or in California or United States or anywhere in the world, if you're a Christian, you're a part of the universal church. Matter of fact, the universal church includes all Christians through all ages, right? And so we can, we can think we can get away with saying, you know, well, you know, I'm a part of the universal church. Even though I don't go to a local church, I'm a part of the universal church, so I'm okay. But here is the reality. The universal church certainly does exist, but the universal church does nothing. 
The universal church is only effective because the local church does its work. Everything the universal church does is done because and by a local church. Relationship is not found in the universal church. Relationship is found in the local church. The assembly of a group of Christians who live in the general vicinity of a building, potentially, or a home, that is the church. That is the local church, and that is what Scripture teaches us all the time about. I mean, throughout Scripture, it is always talking about the local church. There's only a few verses that even refer to the universal church. So when we're talking about the church, we're not talking about the universal church. We're talking about the local church. It is the local church where stuff gets done. It is the local church that, that it, where relationship happens. And it is the local church that we are automatically a part of once we give our life to Christ. So, this year, I'm going to be, in order to uh, engage with the topic of the church and how we are interacting and con- what our context of our relationship is, what is the motivation of our relationship, and what is the purpose of our relationship as a church, I'm going to be using 1 Corinthians as that you know, source, you know, if you will, the source material for my teaching this year. Um, Through this book, I'm hoping that we can find practical principles of how we are to operate as a church, that uh, some of those principles will be direct straight from uh, the context of 1 Corinthians and 2,000 years ago in the Corinthian uh, city of Corinth. Others will we'll have to kind of just do a little bit of tweaking and kind of do some indirect you know, principles that we can draw from because things are so different there than they were here. But the idea is that we would find inspiration in exploring ecclesiology through the book of 1 Corinthians. So a little bit about 1 Corinthians. First of all, it's a church that was planted by Paul in about 50 AD. We can read about this in Acts chapter 18. Uh, Paul was there for about 18 months originally when he was planting the church, and then he had a couple other visits later on. Uh, There seems to be three letters that we know about that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. However, in our Bible, there's only two uh, letters that we have. Uh, Some have thought that it's just a lost letter, the third lost letter of Corinthians. We don't know what Paul wrote. Others have surmised that actually 2 Corinthians, the last three chapters, 10 through 13, are actually that third letter. And if you read through 2 Corinthians, you'll notice a very different tone between 1st chapter and 9th chapter. And then when you get to the 10th chapter, all of a sudden something changes and it does seem like it's different. So that may be the third letter. We don't know for sure. However, the only thing that's important for us in this particular situation is that 1 Corinthians was the book that we're looking at. It seems like it's the first letter that Paul wrote to Corinthians, and he wrote it about 54 A.D., four years after he planted the church. Uh, A little about the city, Corinth was a hub of commerce, but being a hub of commerce, it was also a hub of debauchery of all types. It was a a, a city that had a very large temple of Aphrodite, which is the Greek goddess of love. And there was about a thousand uh, priestesses who would actually go into the the city each night and uh, seek to uh, pass on the uh, pleasures of the goddess of love. Uh, Also, 
in this city, there, because it was a, a city of commerce, there were all kinds of different cultures, ideas, and religions that were, that were influencing that city. Uh, and so as a result, the church grew up in a, in a city of, uh, in a culture of pluralism, where they basically, they didn't, you know, everybody believed in something, but they all believed in a lot of things. You know, they didn't just pick one thing. And so this affected the Christian church as well, and, and taking some of the other pagan ideas and trying to incorporate them into Christianity. Also, there were numerous Christian evangelists who visited Corinth. And as a result, it created some tensions within the church as well, where people were having differing ideas of methodology, how the church should function, different ideas of theology and what, who really God was and who Jesus was. Finally, there was some significant Jewish influence as well, which created some theological legalism and some significant judgmentalism within the church. So, as you can see, all of these pieces and many more influenced the church of Corinth. And as a result, we see, especially in the book of 1 Corinthians, that this church had some deep dysfunction. There were some serious issues. If you've ever read 1 Corinthians or if you choose to jump on board and read it this year, I just warn you, there's just over and over again, Paul is correcting and, and just attacking, not attacking, just confronting this congregation. And saying, look, man, you guys are messing, this is wrong, you know, this is not right, you got to do it this way. I mean, just over and over and over again, he is instructing them on things that they are doing wrong and some things that are pretty actually surprising. I mean, you just kind of like go, wow, there's a church that's doing this, right? And it doesn't make sense. But despite that dysfunction, we find that at the beginning of the book of Corinthians, Paul finds a reason to give praise for the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 to 9. Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony at Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless. And on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Despite the dysfunction, despite all the chaos, despite the conflict, Paul finds a reason to praise the Corinthian church. But notice that his praise is not based on what they have done. It's not based on their deeds. It's not based on their great evangelism. It's not based on anything that they have done in a positive sense. His praise is focused on the reality that this church is in Christ. He praises them because they are in fellowship with Jesus. First, he praises them because of the past blessing of grace which they have received. In 1 Corinthians 15.3, Paul writes, Christ died for our sins, was buried, and raised from the dead. Right? I mean, this idea, the past grace, the fact that Jesus died for them, Paul is praising them for. Do you, do, he's like, you guys are awesome because Jesus died for you. Next, he, he looks at their current blessing of gifts. 
that God has been providing for them. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, each one receives the manifestation of the Spirit. But even in this first chapter, he's talking about that they had all of the gifts. They didn't lack anything. And so Paul is praising them because they are fully equipped. They have all that they need. They are in Christ, and he is caring for them. Finally, he he praises them for their future blessing of God's faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52 is talking about the resurrection of Christ and that when he dies, that he rose and that we will raise with him. The perishable will be raised imperishable, and that is our hope. And so Paul is praising the Corinthian church for the fact that God is faithful and he will resurrect them at the end. That there's hope. All of the praise that Paul gives is focused on the church's connection with Jesus. And there's a principle that we can pull out of this praise that Paul gives to this dysfunctional Corinthian church. And the principle is this, that the church is united with Jesus. This is an essential perspective for us to understand that the church is in Christ. Romans 6, 3-4 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Continuing into Romans uh, 6, verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Do you get this? Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. When we become a Christian, we are united with him, and so it is like we have died. It is like we have resurrected. The church is one with Jesus. His righteous acts are credited to us. His sacrifice is credited to us. His resurrection is credited to us. His love, his service, everything that Christ has done is credited to us as the church. We are one with Christ. But more than that, Jesus is one with us. Jesus is working in us. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do you see that it is no longer what we do, it is Christ who is doing it in us. It's not about what we have accomplished. It is Jesus accomplishing it in us. Jesus, just like we, the church, is one with Jesus, Jesus is one with the church. And so our righteousness is credited to Jesus. Our sacrifice is credited to Jesus. Our resurrection is credited to Jesus. Our service and our love Our ministry, all of it is credited to Jesus because Jesus is one with us. 
And we, Trinity Alliance Church, we're no different than the Corinthian church. You see, Paul was writing to a local church in Corinth. He wasn't writing to the universal church. And so this reality means that this is true for us as a local church. Trinity Alliance Church, we are not perfect. We've got some dysfunction, perhaps not as bad as the Corinthian church, but we are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Yet, we are in Christ, and thus we are worthy of praise. We, too, have God's grace that's been poured out on us on the cross. You see, perfect churches don't need grace. Right? We don't need Jesus to die for us if we're a perfect church. But we're not, and so we need God's grace. Praise the Lord that we are in Christ and have received that grace. We have also received the praise of the reality that God continues to provide for our needs. You see, perfect churches don't need God's gifts. We can do it on our own. But when you're messed up, when you have dysfunction, you're stuck relying on Jesus. We need Jesus. And we can receive that gift from him because he provides. And so praise the Lord for TAC because we are in Jesus. But we also receive the future blessing of God's faithfulness who will bring us home. Who will bring us into the eternal kingdom. You see, once again, perfect churches, they don't need God's faithfulness. Because they're getting there on their own. And just a little secret, there are no perfect churches. Maybe you didn't know that. But we as TAC, as dysfunctional as we are, we are one with Christ. And because of that, we can receive praise from God for His faithfulness. TAC, Trinity Alliance Church, is one with Jesus. And Jesus is one with TAC. And so this morning I want to start the year off right with a little challenge <laughs> to all of you. I, I want to challenge you in your level of involvement and, in, and, and engagement and commitment to Trinity Alliance Church. And so I want to start by asking a question. Where are you? Because before you can accept a challenge, you've got to know where you're at. So you know how big a step you need to take. But the first is, you know, where are you? Are you all in? I, I mean, do you love Trinity Alliance Church? Are you fully engaged and committed to what we're doing here? Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe many of you are there. But it's really a question that only you can answer. Maybe you're holding TAC at arm's length. Maybe you just you attend, but you're just really not connecting. You're a little afraid to connect. You, you know, maybe you've been burned by a church in the past, or maybe you just have relationship issues and fear of conflict issues or whatever it may be. Who knows? And so you're holding the church at, a, at, a, at arm's length, saying, you know what, eh, oh yeah, I'll show up and be there on Sundays on occasion, but I'm not really not all in. 
Maybe some of you are on the fence, similarly. Not sure that TAC is really your church. Not really sure if this is the place for you. I mean, there's a lot of options out there, right? I mean, who knows where you can go? (laughs) Or maybe you're apathetic. Maybe you just don't really feel there's a need for church. And yeah, you want to come and be a part of, you know, worship occasionally and be around others in the church and that kind of stuff. But really, church is, eh, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Maybe you're disgruntled. Maybe you're only here because you've been dragged here by somebody else. Maybe you've got a spouse who you know, really wants you to be here, and so they've made you come. Maybe you're, uh, maybe you're just a kid, right? And maybe your parents are dragging you here. I don't know. I went through that. You know, we all did, right? <laughs> or maybe this is your first time. Maybe this is the first time walking in the doors of this church, and you have no idea what it's all about. You don't know what TAC is. But no matter where you're at, I'm going to ask you. Now, I'm going to call you to make some choices this year. I want you to start right now. Start the new year right. And it's not a New Year's resolution, but you know what? If we're going to, if we're going to start 2019 differently, let's start it right here with the church. Would you be willing to choose to dive into deeper relationship with people in this church. You know, some, some of us, we're so scared of relationship, and we'll get a few good close friends, and, and that's it. You know, if we get that in the church, and we feel like, okay, I'm comfortable, and I'm good. But, but will, you, will you dive deeper? With them, certainly, but with others. Will you not be satisfied just knowing a few names of those in the church? Would you be willing... To, to try to get to know everybody in the church. I mean, we're only a church of 150 to 200. I mean, we can, you can figure out most of those names. I've got most of them down. A few people I still don't you know, remember. Dale. It's got a name badge. Yeah, it's, it's got, appreciate that. But, but would you be willing to go and not just, let, not just get to know somebody else, but would you allow them to get to know you? You know, so often we miss out on the blessing of the church because we are not willing to be vulnerable with the church. We're not willing to open up our heart to people in the church and allow them to know who we are and the struggle that we're going through. We're afraid that, you know, if I share my dirt with them, then they're going to know that I'm dirty. Well, we're all dirty. And we miss out on the blessing that God has for us simply because we're afraid to open up. And share with somebody so somebody knows what you're going through. Next, would you maybe make a choice to embrace a larger role in ministry this year? You know, it's just a fact that that 80% of ministry in a church is done by 20% of the people. How, how, How is that even possible to be that stat? If we all, at the moment we give our life to Christ, become part of his body, become part of the church, then why isn't it 80% of the people doing 80% of the ministry? Right? I mean, this doesn't make any sense. And I understand that there's busy schedules. I get that. Right? I know it's hard. But, but what would you be willing to choose this year? To get more involved in the ministry that's happening. Sunday mornings, during the week, whatever it is. 
that you would take a role in caring for other people in this church, encouraging them, loving them, being there for them. The reality is this, every time we serve, we get served. That's how it works. Again, we are missing out on blessing because we are, we are keeping our strength and our talents and our abilities to ourselves. We're afraid that if we go out and, and, and sacrifice a little bit of time or if we go out and sacrifice a little bit of money or energy or whatever it may be, that somehow we're going to be sapped and we're not going to be able to do what we need to do. But the reality of service and ministry is that when you give, you get. Finally, would you be willing to just simply commit more fully to Trinity Alliance Church and what we're about? vision, our, our mission, our hope, our focus, would you be willing to really commit to it? To, to, to stop just kind of holding the church out here and say, yeah, this is my church that I, I like to go to on occasion. Or this is my church that, you know, I, I, yeah, this, I guess it's my church, but I, you know, I don't really get, you know, I, I, would you be willing to really dive in and say, no, this is my church? That you'd be really a part of what we're trying to accomplish here as a church, to know God better, to deepen that relationship with him, and then to deepen our relationship with each other, and then in 2020, we'll talk about deepening our relationship with the world. Would you be willing to dive into this church? Now, now I know that's maybe a hard sell for some of you, especially if yours your first, first Sunday here, right? So, so let me just say this, it's, it's not about Trinity Alliance Church. It's about us individually as Christians plugging in, diving in, being committed, being engaged, being involved in a local church, whether that's Trinity Alliance or somewhere else. The benefit is not for the church. The benefit's for you. Your life is going to be in a better spot. You're going to receive and enjoy more fully the blessings that God has for you. You're going to experience God in different ways as a result. And so this year I want you, maybe this next week actually, just to maybe take some time and, and pray about it. I've got our questions for our small groups, and so in your small groups, if you're in, plugged in one of those, you'll, you'll go through these questions, and they're challenging questions. They're like, what, what are you going to do? How are you going to dive in? How are you going to engage more? How are you going to get more involved? How are you going to be more committed? And so this week, I want you to just think through that and, and think about how, what God is calling you to, how you can live that out and play that out in your life this year and see what God does with it. All right, worship team, why don't you come forward? Transition into communion. Communion fits very nicely in this message about the fact that the church is one with Jesus, right? I mean, that's what communion is about. This is the proclamation that we make, uh, at least in this church, once a month to say that, yes, I am one with Jesus and I want to be one with Jesus. I received Jesus maybe sometime in the past and today I'm going to reiterate that commitment that Jesus is Lord of my life, that I need his body and his blood poured out for me. These symbolic elements of bread and the juice are there to, to, to remind us of what Christ sacrificed for us. That he willingly came and lived a perfect life and then died a death that he didn't deserve to die. 
just so that we could have an opportunity to be in a restored relationship with his Father. This is what we celebrate. The oneness that we enjoy as we partake, that we are eating symbolically the body of Christ, that we are drinking symbolically the blood of Jesus. The idea is that we are taking in Jesus. We are internalizing it. It's part of who we are. And this is just a reality that we as Christians enjoy. That we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And that reality extends to the church. It's experienced in the church. So this morning, let's uh, take communion together. Just so you know, uh, we at the, in the Alliance, we practice what's called open communion. And that means that you do not have to be a member of the Alliance Church, and you don't have to be a member or, or of any Alliance Church for that matter. All that is required for you to partake in this meal today is for Jesus to be the Lord of your life. So if you have professed faith and confessed your sins and said, Jesus is my Lord, then we welcome and invite you to be a part of this meal with us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for this church, Trinity Alliance, and what you have done here and how you continue to work here. Lord, we look forward to this next year and what you have for us. But Lord, uh, all of the good that we could experience or even the struggles that come, Lord, they are only um, enjoyed, they're only worked through with the reality that we are in Christ. To know that we are not alone as we step out into the future. To know that you are with us and we are with you. I pray that you would help us this year as a church to more fully embrace this perspective of the oneness that we have with Jesus. And even this morning as we partake of communion and this symbolic elements of Christ's body and blood, that we would perhaps even make a, a further commitment a reiteration of the maybe a previous commitment to continue to live our lives in glory of you. That we would commit to be more involved, to be more focused on you and what you're doing and what you, how you're leading. That we'd be more involved in your church, relationally, ministry. That Lord, that we would recognize the value that's here that we'd make it a priority. Lord, thank you for Jesus, your son, who willingly came and died for us. Lord, bless us as we partake this morning.